0: To another in our series, uh, simply titled Love, the Love Series. And uh, this is part three in the series today, Love Part Three. And uh, I did mention uh, last week, there is um, quiet time material as well. If you're wanting for your personal quiet times, some additional material that could be very useful, just reflecting on the passages. It's got some good life-related questions there. So feel free to grab some of those. They're at the information table um, and they are free of charge. And also for our small groups, for uh, Friday nights and Wednesday nights seven thirty. 7.30. Uh, the groups are doing the 40 Days of Love, which is a, a Rick Warren DVD study series. Uh, they started last week, uh, but you still feel free to join. And uh, if you're thinking, well, I don't know how to do that, well, have a chat with me after service. I'll, I'll put you, connect you with one of the small group leaders um, so you can be a part of one of those. Today my topic is overcoming pride. Overcoming pride and when you look at the the verse we're digging into this week you'll see why that's the title let's examine it it's 1st uh, Corinthians 13 this whole series is based in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 starts like this love is patient love is kind we looked at those two big themes last week this week we're looking at this it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud three things that love is not um now, I mean, we're we used to a, a positive definition of pride. Um, you know, you can say it uh, if um, my uh, son Zach, he's off at the youth camp actually at the moment, um, he comes back and says, Oh, look, I completed all these studies at the youth camp, Dad. You know, I really enjoy them. I'd say, Oh, it's great, son. I'm really proud of you. You can use it in those, those ways, can't you? But the way Paul is using it here is actually purely in the negative. And. Um, I'll explain a little bit about the word in a moment, but uh, one of the interesting things for me is actually pride is really the root cause of the other two things that I mentioned there. Love does not envy, it doesn't boast. you got pride, pride in the heart, it'll cause you to boast. you got pride in the heart, it'll cause you to envy. It'll cause you to think, oh, well, they've got this stuff, but well, why don't I have it? I deserve it more than them, or at least as much, you know? Uh, so pride is the root word I want to explore, and um, it's, uh, it's an interesting word in the Greek. Uh, so the Greek word for pride that we've, tra- that we've translated pride is phousi uh-oh, fousi, uh-oh. Uh-oh, you've got a bit of pride in you. No, fousi, uh-oh, si uh-oh. And um, it, it, meant, it meant literally to, to puff up or to inflate. And the root word that it's taken from is phusa. That's the Greek word for these. The Greek word for bellows, to puff up fill up. So the proud person, uh, it's its saying they're a bit like a, a set of bellows, filled up with uh, hot air, so to speak. And so when the person is boasting, the proud person's boasting, it's like they're shooting out the hot air. <laughs> <Fussar>. <laughs> um, there's two sides to this though. On the one hand, uh, it's the proud person who's pushing out those words of it might be arrogance, it might be boasting, it could be criticism of others. It's those sorts of things, punching out those words. But there's two dimensions to it. There's the other side, that's the pushing out, but there's also the sucking it in. It's been referred to as an introverted version of pride. And so the person doing that might be the opposite. They might actually put themselves down. But it's with the motive that someone else praises them up. You know, They're actually saying something negative about themselves that someone else is going to say something positive to them. Um, I remember speaking about this in England and my evangelism pastor said, oh, yes, in inverted pride, yes. I, I think there's quite a few in our church like that, she says to me. <laughs> um, it's a useful image of where the word comes from. Let me uh, read a definition of it here. This is actually from the Strong's Bible Dictionary. It uh, says that, that that Greek word for COO uh, is uh, it, it figuratively swelled up like an ego, egotistical person spewing out puffed up arrogant thoughts. I'll say it again. Figuratively swelled up like an egotistical person spewing out arrogant thoughts. Um, now, our English definition of pride is simply this too high an opinion of oneself. Too high an opinion of oneself. The biblical definition of the understanding of the word is actually slightly different. It's an overemphasis on self, an overemphasis on self. And I can explain it a little bit more like this. Um, when you contrast it with humility, you get an understanding of it. Uh, by the way, we might need to understand humility because a lot of people think the humble person puts themselves down. Well, that's not the English definition of the word. I'll read the English definition. Um, It is a sober estimate of yourself or a careful estimate of yourself. Not a negative estimate. It's a careful estimate. Not a boastful estimate, but a careful estimate of yourself. But the biblical understanding of humility is actually an absence of self. An absence of self. And can you see how when I'm using the bellows here, whether it's the puffing out or the (sighs) sucking in, It's actually both is focused on the self. The person who puts themselves down, where's their focus? It's on themselves. The person who praises themselves up, where's their It's on themselves. The humble person just doesn't think about themselves. For the humble person, their focus, maybe it's it's on God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Um, It's on the Lord's work. It's on the Lord himself. It's on other people and their needs. They're not self-focused. So uh, humility is the opposite of being self-focused. It can be put like this when we think of those other two phrases: boasting and envying," "envying." Pride, the extroverted version of pride is to boast. The introverted version of pride is to envy. Now, as we're all thinking, well, pride sounds horrible. I don't have any of that in my life. Well, that's our problem, isn't it? <laughs> it's a tricky thing. To recognize it's actually not an obvious thing to recognize it's subtle and i'd go as far to say it's in the hearts of most of us and we actually have to work at seeing it and dealing with it i certainly do psalm 138 verse 6 tells us about the results of pride though the lord is on high he looks upon the lowly but the proud he knows from afar isn't that interesting So God is distant from someone who's got pride in their heart. He knows them from afar. So firstly, pride damages your relationship with God. Pride damages your relationship with God. Going on, Proverbs 3.10 says this, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Romans 12.16, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud. Very hard to have harmonious relationships when there's pride. Pride in that community or that group or that club or that church. Um, pride damages your relationship with others. Pride damages your relationship with others. But because pride is hard to identify and it's very easy to think, well, I don't have any of that ugly stuff in my heart, I'm going to give you some help. Um, Floyd McClung, um, some of you have heard of him. Uh, here he is back in the 70s. It's <laughs> a happening look, isn't it? <laughs> um, he's written a, a few uh, very famous books Father Heart of God's one of his most famous I love his one, Living on the Devil's Doorstep It talks about all of his ministry in the red light district of Amsterdam He and his wife um, But the one I'm going to quote from is Holiness in the Spirit of the Age Holiness in the Spirit of the Age And in this he has a pretty hard look at what pride is And how to identify it Um, Just for those who don't know who on earth this chap is, so uh, he became the international director of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. That became the biggest, at that time, was the biggest missions agency in the world. So significant leader and a significant evangelist as well. Well, he, he starts like this when he's explaining pride. He says, he uses an analogy and he says, hey, sometimes when people develop cancer, they know they're feeling unusually nauseated. They might see a discoloration or some sort of growth appear. But they don't want to go to the doctors. They don't want to deal with it. You know, I, I don't want to go there. Blokes are especially bad at this. Uh, <laughs> but we know that if that cancer is not dealt with, it can kill you. McClung then goes on to say, the spiritual reality of pride is just as dangerous. It can destroy you spiritually. So he helps us to try and see where it is. He gives us... Six or so different ways that it appears or manifests itself. Look at this. One, a judgmental and critical attitude. He explains it by saying, Criticism divides and destroys the church. Jesus died to make us one. Proud people are critical and judgmental and have difficulty seeing good in others. When they do see good in others, they are quick to negate it through their critical approach. Kind of an extrovert expression of pride. Let's have a look at another one. A demanding and self-pitying spirit. The pride of a demanding person's heart is revealed by constantly bringing attention to what has not been done for them. Self-pity is a direct result of being too proud to turn our problems over to the Lord, choosing rather to cling on to our hurts, frustrations, and disappointments. More of an introvert version of pride. Um, I was reflecting on Joseph in the book of Genesis this week, Um, the great leader Joseph, and he had every reason at times to be self-pitying. You think of that um, season in his life where he'd been sold by his brothers into slavery and then Potiphar decides to purchase Joseph. And uh, he's impressed with this young man's skills. 17-year-old guy and um, so impressed that he gradually goes, takes on more and more responsibility due to his in charge of his entire estate. And this guy had a big estate. He worked for the pharaoh himself. But unfortunately for Joseph, Potiphar's wife, took an interest in him. Potiphar, um, it says of Joseph that he was well built and handsome. And so she wants an affair with this young man. And because he believes in the the word of God and he knows this is wrong to take another man's wife, he, he resists her all the time. Well, she gets sick of that and she then accuses him of rape. So Joseph is promptly thrown into prison and, uh, you just look at that and you think to yourself, "My goodness, um, this guy does the right thing, and he suffers for it." Uh, you gotta imagine myself being thrown into prison, especially in prisons of that time. You yeah? my goodness, these stinking clothes I've got to wear, fleas everywhere, gross food, no freedom. This is horrendous. I'd just be grumbling and self-pitying all the time. You don't see that in Joseph at all, do we? He doesn't complain once. No record of a complaint. Just gets on with life despite the injustice he suffered. What an example. Let's have a look at another one. Floyd McClunn suggests this. Sarcasm is an expression of pride. Caustic comments may be socially acceptable, but they have no place in the kingdom of God. Sarcasm is a thinly veiled attempt to impress people, highlighting the faults of others in a pseudo-humorous way. It always is at the expense of another person and reveals the prejudice of our heart. Last week, we looked at patience being uh, a reality of love, an expression of love. Well, here, Floyd talks about impatience as being one of the the symptoms of pride. Impatience signifies that our ideas, projects, programs, and schedules are more important than people. When our agenda does not go as planned, we express our lack of love and self-control through impatience. Impatience. as most of you know, I, used, I lived in England for a time and I can still remember a lady, a very impatient lady at a shopping centre. We were in a, a shop called Little, Little Shopping Centre in Woodley. Um, and uh standing in queue, it was around that lunch time break and um, the queues were pretty long and there was a lady there, very smartly dressed, middle class lady, and uh, she... Um, Said to the checkout girl, we need to open, open up some more queues, you know, open up some more checkouts, she says fairly aggressively to her. And um, anyway, uh, so they opened up a couple more. and um, There were two people that when they opened up one, they just immediately shot to the front of that queue. And she was irate because she saw it as they had pushed in. And she is yelling at them. She's swearing at them. You know, How dare you do that? And, um, and the guy, guy tried to put a bit of humor in it. He said, I'll quicken the dead, love. You know, and, uh, But she went on and on and on. She tried to recruit other people to back her up. And uh, in the end, even after they'd left, she's then carrying on to the, the checkout girl. She just was brimming over with impatience. <laughs> it was just everywhere. Oh, uh, goodness. Here's another one. An unteachable spirit. None of us is above the need for instruction or correction. When confronted by someone on an issue, do we listen to them or ignore what they have to say? Do we accept their reproof and become, or become aloof and resentful that someone would dare correct us? Don't you dare. Unteachableness is a symptom of pride. One more. Disloyalty and unforgiveness. Pride tries to excuse disloyalty by whispering to us, You've been hurt. You've got the right to get even. Nursing hurt feelings is not an option for Christians. We're never justified in criticising or turning against others. Uh, some years ago, um, when I was, this was with Crossway South, I, uh, Floyd and Sally were doing some preaching around Australia and uh, we had them over to our home. That's what they looked like at that time. A little bit older by then. <laughs> And uh, we're chatting with them. Uh, so he, he preached at the service and then came and had lunch with us at our place. And, um, and as we're chatting with, with Floyd and Sally, um, Sally uh, told a story. And she said in one of their, their bases where they were serving, because uh, YMAM encourage people to be vulnerable and open, you know, have a, a relationship where, you know, uh, you know what's, at least some people know what's going on in your world and praying for one another and that sort of thing. Well, Sally had really opened up to one of the other members of team. And, you know, she had honestly shared about her her moments of depression and um, shared about the fact that at times she didn't have faith that this local mission was really going to work. It was not going to make it. And in the midst of all that, um, Floyd and Sally went on furlough for a few weeks. That's kind of a missions break. And um, when they came back, there was all this division in the mission team. And then they found out why it was there. So the lady that Sally had opened up to, she'd spread around the whole you know, mission team about Sally and that she felt that she was not fit for leadership. And uh, to top it off, make it worse, um, the guy, that lady's husband, had also spread similar things about Floyd, saying, yeah, he's just not suitable as a leader. And they'd gone to Floyd's supervisor as well to talk with him about that. Well, they got to the bottom of it. Floyd's supervisor talked with a bunch of people and it was that couple that were dismissed. And they've never gone back into ministry again. Uh, Floyd, rather, in time, became the director of the entire organisation. For that couple, this verse comes to mind. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. See, this couple just thought they were better and knew more then floyd and sally god's response to the proud this is a challenging verse friends look at this proverbs 16 5 the lord detests all the proud of heart they be sure of this they will not go unpunished james 4 6 god opposes the proud wow pretty uh pretty challenging there three things god detests the proud he's going to punish them and he opposes them boy so how do we overcome it how do we overcome pride well, I want to suggest three things. Number one, ask God to reveal it. Ask God to reveal it. Talk with the Lord about it. You know, David used to do this. David certainly knew what it was to have sin in his life at times. Psalm 139, 1 through 4, look how David communicates to the Lord. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So David clearly knows God knows everything about him. Towards the end of that psalm, he, asks, he he says this to the Lord. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Verse 23. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's saying to God, look, show me, Lord, if there's offensive ways in me, what I say, what I do in my heart, help me see that, Lord. Help me see that. So I'm suggesting the first step is simply ask God about it. Get alone with the Lord in prayer and in the, with the word perhaps and allow him to speak to you. Here's another one. Confess to God and others. Confess to God and others. Beautiful verse, isn't it? First um, 1 John 1, 1.9. Love the verse. Good one to memorize. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You own up to God about whatever issue it is in your life, pride or whatever else. He always promises to forgive, whatever it is. Uh, and he's not only going to forgive us. In the process of confession of owning up to it, he's going to purify us, purify us from unrighteousness. But if you don't own up to it, if you deny it, he promises no forgiveness at all. He asks confessing confession, own up to it. And then a very challenging verse in James. Therefore, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now, I'll immediately say, be careful in doing that. Didn't work for Sally, did it? Mate, she confessed to the wrong person. Now, she didn't know that. She thought that lady was a close friend. And, you know, we get it wrong sometimes. But can I suggest, absolutely, it'd be great if you've got a friend or two that you share your journey very honestly in a very real way. But, yeah, that's right. Don't do it just to anyone. It's not just like, say, if you're in a small group setting, it might not be appropriate to share that with a whole small group, but it might be appropriate to have a friend within that small group that you do share with. But there is power in confession. Remember what it said, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. When you've got someone who's a close friend who's praying for you because of that that challenge, that journey, that issue, that, that sin, that pride it might be in your heart, you know that makes a difference. God wants us to live in vulnerable community. One more. Three, practice humility. Practice humility. Not easy. Let me read a few verses. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 18.12, There, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honour. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Perhaps further unpack humility. Let me quote Floyd McClung here. He says this, Humility releases us from hiding and pretending to be something we're not. It allows us to be known for who we really are. A world concerned with superficiality encourages us to cover our weaknesses. Humility sets us free from this kind of thinking. Straightforward admission to others of our needs, shortcomings, and shortcomings allows us to be free from the deceit of pride. There's another area that I'll touch on that is a distinct reality when it comes to this issue of pride, and that is this. Pride can create an opening for spiritual attack. Pride within the heart can open spiritual attack. You can be more vulnerable to it with pride in your heart. Uh, look at this here, James 4.6. But he, God, gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Notice how it puts the spiritual warfare dimension in there, mixing it with this concept of pride and humility. Um, See, the proud person certainly doesn't want to submit to anyone. Submit to God, it says in that scripture. The proud person doesn't even want to submit to God. They don't want to submit to anyone. But the challenge is, without submission to God, we've made ourselves vulnerable. Look, um, friends, you think of uh, in Ezekiel and Isaiah, it talks about Satan's downfall. And in both of those passages, it talks about because of Satan's pride, because of Satan's pride, he was cast out of heaven. I've heard preachers say it's the root to all sin, pride. Challenging stuff. You know, I was um, reflecting on some of the comments of a revivalist, Ed Silvoso, this week. Uh, Ed Silvoso uh, was a chap who saw a mighty revival in Argentina, I think it was about 35 years ago. And he started to go around the world, preaching, connecting, getting pastors to connect together. I remember meeting him and he'd got a bunch of us in my city together and we were praying for revival. We were trying to break demonic strongholds through prayer. And we're trying to you know, see the, 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 the veil that people seem to sometimes have over their minds when it comes to the gospel, to see that lifted and the gospel, to be alive and real and powerful and uh, actually, Ed Silvoso, too, there was a prayer meeting that I used to go to in, in Reading, England. And um, there was a, oh, it was a fairly good crowd. It was about 40 of us would get together once a week and pray for revival, pray for our city. And that prayer meeting had been started by Ed Silvoso 20 years earlier. It was still going. One of the things that Ed shares in one of his messages, he talks about um, being prompted to look at the, study the names of Satan. Many of us have studied names of God. Have we ever studied the names of Satan? And one of the names that he started was Beelzebub. And as he looked into the meaning of that name, it means literally the Lord of the Flies. The Lord of the Flies. You might have read that book at school. I did. I had to, in English. Anyway. (laughs) The Lord of the Flies. And um, as he reflected upon this, he looked at the life cycle of a fly. Usually no more than 40 days life cycle he started to reflect on the nature of satan now we've been saying um, that love is patient for instance Um, and of course i said one week god is all these things so god is patient god is kind satan's not and you know that that meaning of patience i said it's got two sides to it it's the, the general use that we use for the word patience but there's also as the king jimmy translated translates it Long-suffering, the King James Version. Long-suffering. Other translations talk about it meaning endurance. So there's that side to the Greek word. Satan, Ed Silvoso says, does not have endurance. And he started to feel that God was saying to him, Satan, if you resist him for 40 days, you'll break whatever stronghold it is in your city, in your life, whatever. Resist him for that period of time. He does not have the endurance to maintain the spiritual battle. He will lose the victory. Now, I can't base that exactly in the Bible, but we do have this reference to 40 days a lot in the Bible. And even we're doing a series at the moment where our small groups are doing 40 days of love. Rick Warren talks about the power of 40 days too, saying that psychologists will say, if you want to change a habit, if you do it for about six weeks, which is about 40 days, you can create a new habit in your life. So there's something in human nature about this as well. Anyway, um, Let me illustrate this further with something else that Ed Silvoso did in his journey of exploring. When he was uh, staying in an apartment and he was looking out a window, he saw a massive brick wall that was to be demolished. And a fella comes with one of these, a sledgehammer, and uh, stops about in the middle of the wall. And decides, okay, now it's time to strike it, and he thumps it, Boof. and he hits it again, Boof. hits it again. Boof. Now, as that's going on, Ed Sylvoso is thinking, "You're never going to knock that huge wall down <laughs> with a single sledgehammer. He needs one of those big wrecking balls on a crane or something." But he kept watching him. Hit it again. Boof. Thirty times. Boof. Thirty-one times. Thirty two times. Thirty three times. And and he'd still look and think, Nothing's happening. But he kept watching. Hit it again. Thirty-six times. And suddenly there was this hairline crack went up the wall. Hit it again. Thirty seven times. The crack widened. Thirty-eight times. It widened further. Thirty nine times. It's kind of split open. Forty times and the whole thing just shattered. He was very surprised. And he felt the Lord speak to him and say, "You're going to break down the demonic strongholds. You resist the evil one. He will flee from you. And if you do it consistently over 40 days, you will break whatever stronghold it is in your life or in your city. Interesting comments. Think of Jesus. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. And every time the evil one came at him, what did he do? He quoted the scriptures every time. Think of this verse here, friends, the power of God's word. Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Is my word not like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. In pieces. Now my thought is this, friends. If we want to break a stronghold, God's word, and consistent resistance of the evil one, we'll get it done. Can I illustrate it by telling you a story about um, one of my friends? I remember... um, some years back at Narry Warren Baptist, I had a young lady want to meet with me in the office, um, knew her pretty well. I'd conducted her and her husband's wedding. Beautiful, young, committed Christian couple, fantastic people. But she shared with me, look, I'm suffering from panic attacks, and it's just awful, you know. Um, I just can't seem to get over this. Uh, and, and she, you know, talked about it at length. Um, And I said this to her, told her the brick wall story. (laughs) And then I said to her, you know, I believe if you get 40 verses from the Scriptures, 40 verses, I want you to pluck out some verses relevant to what you want to overcome. Find most of these yourself. I might get you started with a few, but find most of these yourself because find things that are relevant to you. And I want you to take the whether you use your phone or you use little cards, whatever. A new verse every day, read it, pray into it, believe it, try and memorize it. And she took that seriously. She did exactly that. Now, well, what sort of verses? Well, it was things like this. I just said, um, hey, you know, think of some of the key verses in the scriptures, like Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Or verses like Philippians 4.6, you know this one well. Do not be anxious about anything. Or also in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so anyway, she had 40 of these verses. And she went through day after day, kept on quoting them, believing them, praying them over her own life. Well, by the time the 40 days was up, it was broken. I talked with her two months after this. I said, hey, how you doing? And she said this to me. I'll quote her actual words. The anxiety has gone, I feel like a new person. The anxiety has gone, I feel like a new person. My friends, today, as I draw this message to an end, let me suggest to you, whether it's pride, whether it's anxiety, or whatever it might be in your life, but you know there's something there you want to get rid of. I want to give you an opportunity today to come forward and be prayed for. who's going to be here to pray for you straight away. There'll be others as well. But uh, I want to pray for you now just before we finish this message. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to ask right now by the power of your spirit, you would just move in this place. You have your way in this place today. In Jesus' authority, we pray.